You know, the other day I found a quote that seemed to perfectly sum up my reaction to the moment we're all moving through. And I know I'm not alone, so I thought I would share it. I wanted a perfect ending. Now I've learned the hard way that some poems don't rhyme and some stories don't have a clear beginning, middle, and end. Life is about not knowing, having to change, taking the moment and making the best of it without knowing what's going to happen next. Delicious ambiguity. Gilda Radner. Hello out there, Shara Carruthers here. How are you doing? I'm hoping that as this recording hits your ears, you're feeling settled and grateful and more than okay with the uncertainty, or should I say the delicious ambiguity that surrounds us these days. Uncertainty, interestingly enough, is something that I've talked about a lot with our guest today. I discovered his Yoga Talks podcast back in June of 2017, and I was immediately drawn in. So much so that I actually wrote him a note not long after I started listening. And so by way of introduction to him and his work, I decided to dig that email out and to share it with you. Here goes. Hey, Jay. I started this note in my head about a dozen times since I discovered and started binge listening to your podcast about a month and a half ago. Today, I couldn't let it stay in there. And of course, now the words are awkward at best in part because they can only be an approximation of what I'm feeling and thinking. In Australia, there's a saying, love your work. And as an American living here, it's taken me some time to get my head around what this truly means over here. Aussies are great at playing things down, and so here it's usually a throwaway compliment. But I have to tell you that I really do love your work, what I know of it at least. The bottom line is you're making me think question, and grow. Your natural curiosity and open, easy, passionate conversations are shaking things up over here where I am. They've stirred up opinions and emotions that I didn't actually know were there. I'm learning more about who I am and what I care about as a result of spending time in the environment that you're creating. And so to me, what you're doing feels like the perfect definition of holding space. It's also, it also seems like a natural part of who you are. It's clearly, clearly your calling. And so listening to your podcast has become part of my practice of yoga. And I wanted to thank you for having the courage to just do you. I suppose what struck me most about your conversations with the audience and others is how much they touch on the kinds of things I'm feeling passionately. I'm seeing and I'm experiencing as a teacher and a student on the mat and off. You speak a language that I know. Not just because it's yoga language, but because I feel it in my heart. And yeah, aspects of your conversation piss me off sometimes. And other times, they make me melt or a little weepy. But more than anything, they remind me of something I learned way back when I was living in New York City about people, art, and ideas. The ones that make you feel something are the ones to hold on to. You're a keeper, Jay. Thanks for all you do. Yes, today our guest is Jay Brown of Jay Brown's Yoga Talks podcast. And Maria and I were really happy to chat with Jay as we've both been guests on his podcast. And in fact, Jay's podcast was technically my first introduction to Maria. And it was part of the part of what influenced me to say yes, when a mutual friend made the request to introduce Maria and I in person and the rest, as they say, is history. And so, of course, 
Jay's been on our list as a possible guest from the very beginning. And since he talks about his life and his work on his podcast, we actually wanted to dive a little deeper and ask about some of the things that we'd always wondered about his business and his motivations, and ultimately what he's learned from this whole adventure in yoga and podcasting. And let me tell you, Jay did not disappoint. So please enjoy this fun and illuminating conversation that Maria and I had with Jay Brown. Oh. Hey there. How you doing? Pretty good. Very good. Can you see it? Can you see Maria too? Yeah, hold on one second. Let me um get rid of something. You're at home. You're in a different space than I'm used to seeing you in. You know, it's funny you say that because um I was intending to be in the studio with you, but yeah. I had like a little bit of a brain fart this morning. Yeah. <laughs> and um I forgot to bring my power adapter with me to the studio. Yeah. And um, that's never happened. I've been doing it for years and years, and it's never happened like that. But it, so I had about a half a battery for my class. Yeah. And I have a contingency plan, like just in case. Like I have the Zoom app on my phone, and I always yeah. thought, well, if worse comes to worse, I could try to finish using my phone. And I did manage to execute the contingency plan. <laughs> And like have the class still happen, even though I ran out of power halfway through. Oh, but it meant that I had to come home. Yeah. To do this with you. So I called my wife and my family has agreed to try to be quiet. Oh, <laughs> we're good. We don't care. We're, we're all right. <laughs> Hopefully you won't hear my kids yelling in the background. Oh, kind of like the reality. It always makes me reassures me that everybody else has families and it's messy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I thought I figured as much. That's why I was like, ah, I'm not going to drive home and then come back. I'll just go home and I'll do it from home. Good. Very yeah. good. But I am trying out like my some new equipment. So I'm giving you the best audio I can give you nonetheless. It sounds great, doesn't it? It is good. Yeah, it I hope really so. good. Cool. So you're, yeah. you're the you're the inspiration. Yeah. <laughs> So in, in an homage to you, we have already started recording. We don't normally do that, but because... uh, I love that. I love that you did that. I hope you use every last bit of what we just recorded. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're really excited to do, to do this with you, Jay, for lots of reasons. But um, I think partly because in, in some kind of roundabout way, you're, you are in, in some ways responsible for Maria and I talking and I'll explain it a little bit because yeah. Maria and I live like 10 minutes away from each other and I've lived here for about almost eight years and Maria how long have you lived in the area Maria 20 yeah yeah and since I started teaching yoga here people have been saying had been saying to me you should you, you should meet Maria you should really meet Maria and I was like okay yeah yeah okay I'll meet Maria I guess I don't even know who's this Maria yeah and then I heard Maria on your podcast so this is like what five years in or something. When did you do the podcast, Maria? Was it like two years ago or something, three years ago? It must be a few years ago. I don't remember either. Yeah. Well, you were in Japan. We were both in Japan. <laughs> the last time I was in Japan, then that was what, geez, 2000, maybe 18 or 19. Yeah. When's your last time? Cause you went maybe one or two more times before, after that, I think. Anyway. Yeah. It must have been. Then that's much earlier. Then that's like more like 17 or something. I can't remember. 
It was yeah. some years ago for sure. Does well, I heard her on your podcast, and I was like, "That's Maria! Oh my goodness!" <laughs> There you go. I do have to meet Maria. And then eventually some friends brought us together. But I think my hearing her on your podcast was the very first time I'd ever even heard Maria talk about anything. And I was like, who is this person? I definitely need to meet Maria. So it's I so suppose because we, this friend introduced us. We sat down for lunch and then the friend left because she was like, OK, I've got nothing to talk about with you guys. <laughs> clearly, like completely icing me. So she's like, good. The introduction was successful. You went off and meditated and she comes back. I met her once and she's like, I want to do a podcast with you. <laughs> and that was it. Yes. Wow. Uh, I, mean, I, lo- I love hearing that. It's so funny that uh, you guys live 10 minutes away and it took uh, me in my basement in Brooklyn to bring you together or whatever, but, <laughs> but awesome. That's a wonderful thing. I'm so glad to hear it. And you guys both are wonderful people that I've met. So it makes sense that you have gotten together and hooked up. And I just love that you're doing a podcast. I've listened to some of the episodes and enjoyed yeah. them. So oh, cool. Very awesome. Cool. Well, we are happy. We are happy to have you on. And we, we know that you have just celebrated your 48th birthday. What, like a week ago or something? June 8th, that's correct. Yeah, and so we thought it'd be fun to start to kick this off by asking, what have you learned about life so far then? <laughs> what have I learned about life? Yeah. In the like 48 you... years that I've been alive, is that what yeah. you're saying? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Nothing. No, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how to answer that question. That's a big question. What have I learned about life? I don't know. I guess I would say if I were to try to answer that. Yeah. My immediate impulse was to go to not just like, oh, all the things that I've learned, because I don't know how I would possibly list that. But mm. like, what's the most important thing I've learned? Yeah, that's where my mind went. I was like, OK, well, if I have to answer this question, it has to be like the sort of fundamental, most basic thing that I've learned that I think is most important. Mm. And I just and to that, I would say I've learned that I'm entirely whole as I am. I don't have to get anywhere, become anything, or that there is sort of a baseline of okayness. I love okayness. <laughs> okayness, yeah. regardless of like emotional states and the turmoil that we're all experiencing individually and collectively sometimes. Mm. Uh, that that and it's interesting, you know. I was just visiting in-laws over the uh, over my birthday and stuff and that kind of i don't know sometimes i would just call it wherewithal or something or that sort of sort of baseline frequency of okayness yeah not everyone has that (laughs) not everyone has that and i think i recognize that when i'm around other people and and it, it it allows me to be a little bit of a better communicator i think and sometimes a bit of a peacemaker for that reason mm. so if there's how? One thing, how does it make me a yeah. peacemaker well how did, when you say it allows me to be a better communicator i'm kind of thinking oh wow how what is there some way of thinking or is it compassion or what i think that it's a a certain level of as i often say in class like the ability to choose how you're responding to the moment mm-hmm. rather than reacting to the moment yeah so I mean, granted, it's not, it's like my father-in-law, it's not my father, so it's mm. easier, <laughs> you know, it's easier when it's not your dad, it's like somebody else's dad, Yeah. but it was just obvious, like, in that situation, regardless of those, whatever, 
blood relationships or not. I, other members in the family were having difficulty communicating with him. There was so much anxiety. He was like, he would watch the news and he would come in and he would just be kind of like talking about things that he had read in the news and making everybody very uncomfortable, you know, and yeah. people would be scattering and leaving. But I would just, I just sat there. It was like, I just talked with him and I actually disagreed with him. He got like frustrated, you know, but then later in the day, and it was so funny because I needed to ask him for a bit of a favor. Like I needed to use his tool. He's got a, a shed, like not a shed, like a, a wood shop that I recorded when I'm up there. Yeah. And I needed to ask him for a favor. Everybody tiptoes around him, you know, when he gets like that and stuff. So I, I was like, all right, I'm just going to, I don't, you know, I had a little bit of remove. So I just went to talk to him and it ended up turning into this like pretty long conversation in the gazebo together. I mentioned it on the show, as a matter of fact. I love that conversation. Yeah. And he just, he was really willing to hear me and talk to me in a way that I don't think he, he is with other people who don't have that like frequency of okayness to like like we say in the teacher's class, hold space or whatever. Yeah. Like that's the thing I think I've gotten from my yoga practice and teaching more than anything is that ability to just sort of be there with a moment or and a person and listen and, you know, so that I don't feel separate from them and they feel that. Yeah. So... That's the thing I've learned most and cherished the most because I feel like it's kind of at the root of everything else. That's awesome. How yeah. does that work with your own family, like your nuclear family? Are you able, because those, those are always my gurus, <laughs> my challenge <laughs> to drop in. I, I think I'm, I'm, I am able to do it to some degree, but it's not as easy. Mm-hmm. And there's other things at play. Like I can't can't be yoga teacher and dad like it doesn't yeah doesn't work you know or why my wife my wife met me in my class you know 20 years ago she did my teacher training when I had a center did training she knows what I do you know (laughs) she knows me really well like better than anybody else probably and she did like the vibe at home is just yeah yeah shut up and do the dishes (laughs) it's not like it's not like you know and that's i i'm so grateful for that that balance at home so to your question yes i'll give you one example Mm. i have a 10 year old daughter who as she's getting older i see that she has things that i have Mm -hmm. like even like little tendencies where she'll like hypochondriac kind of tendencies Mm mm-hmm She'll have like gas and suddenly she's got like a huge problem, you know, like any little bit of pain can easily spiral out. And like, you know, we have in my family, like a whole history of kind of digestive disorder and stuff like that. And I've managed it very well in my own life, just through diet and through yoga. And, you know, like other members of my family had way more problems. And, but I recognize that even with all of my work to be healthy, I still have it. Like, you know, like I, I had to work to address it. It's like, like runs in our family just the way it is. So she was kind of freaking out about it. And my wife, she gets really worried uh, sometimes in certain situations and can kind of exacerbate that spiral for her. So they were away. And then when I got with her, it just took kind of like one conversation with her to just like sit with her and say, you know what, this is in the family. I have it. And like, 
just for her to not feel like there was anything wrong with her. And I just sort of talked about different things that I do. And suddenly, like, it all went away. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, it, it, or even she has problems falling asleep, which is something I always had. So just like last night, I had a conversation with her where she had it in mind that if she didn't fall asleep, like she wasn't going to be healthy. Like she did a whole spiral. And so I just shared with her this one little thing that when I used to freak out about it, I used to tell myself, I said, listen, you know how they tell you you need eight hours of sleep every night? It's true. It's the best thing to get good night's sleep. But you know what? Albert Einstein only slept four hours a night. And for some reason, like just that it's okay, like to not, it's the anxiety around it. You know, like I said Mm -hmm. to her, you can't make yourself fall asleep. So we have to alleviate the anxiety. And I said, instead, why don't you use the time? Like just, if you can't sleep, just imagine cool stuff, like create cool worlds in your head. That's what I do. And she, like, I could see in her eyes, like a relief. And it was that, what you just asked me. It was me kind of modeling this idea of okayness. Mm. Like, yes, stuff happens. Sometimes you can't sleep. Sometimes you might have stomach pain. (laughs) But really, trust me, look at me. I'm your dad and I won't lie to you, you know? So I do think it comes into play, but I can't, I have to be careful. You know, I have to, sometimes I, holding my tongue and not saying anything is the best choice in my house. It's the best communicating I do is when I just shut up and don't say nothing. <laughs> a lot of times at home. So, do your kids practice yoga? They have not so much with me. I mean, I think I can count on one hand the times where we've had any kind of like let's sit down and do yoga with dad kind of moments. Yeah. They did yoga in school and they even have like, they like Cosmic Kids, which is like that uh, YouTube yoga. Actually, Australian lady does. They like, I don't know, they've done yoga. And I remember when my daughter was really young, she had a book on yoga that she memorized that she used to do. But I've, I've always just felt like they don't need me to do yoga with them like that. I just try to like, you know, embody what I think it is. I would say... For a long time, I worried about that. I was like, should I be doing more? I'm not like a kid's yoga teacher in general anyways, <laughs> but I could. I could certainly do it. Like I went and did a class with – I've done a class with both of their like elementary school classes at one time or another. You know, I got invited in That's to do right. a yoga class with their class. I did it, you know, mm-hmm. and I've often thought, oh, should I do more with them at home? You know, they don't see me practicing very much, but then I had this other great moment where I was looking in my daughter's like Um, homework folder like parents are supposed to check the homework folder and there was an assignment that they had been given that it said uh, my dad is best at blank and she wrote my dad is best at staying calm and I was like bam I was like I'll take it (laughs) you know I just I just thought okay that that the whatever the yoga that I would be teaching them, there you go. It's yeah. it's coming through. I don't feel a need to like make them have to do breathing and moving exercises with me. Yeah, that seems to be a common thing, doesn't it, with yoga teachers? Because same with my kids, they're kind of like, no, nah, I'm all right. But I think okay, and I think for for your although yours are starting to do yoga with you so a little bit. I just wait because it's the same. It was you know it was like no you, you know, but I did do a few things and they and they liked it when I did stuff at school. But now both of my my children practice yoga regularly, like mm. and and we do it together and we 
So it's just like, oh, you try not to get too excited. But they come to you. <laughs> and, and they no, just, I just think of. I just think of it as seeds planted, you know. I didn't, I didn't have any frame of reference for yoga until, what, I was like 18, you mm. know, until I left where I grew up and went to school. I never knew anybody who did yoga. Mm. Never had any sense of what it was, really. You're lucky <laughs> to have started that early, actually, yeah. I think. Well, okay, well, I guess that's true. I mean, I started when I was in my college years, yeah. but I think with my daughters, they've been they know they've heard me talk yoga a bunch. Yeah. They know they know what yoga is. Yeah. And they actually have some I don't I can't remember, but if you ask them about yoga, they often say really smart things. So <laughs> Yeah, because they like my eldest daughter has a, a little thing that she'll do where instead of even saying it, she just does like a namaste gesture, but she like she does like an energetic thing to communicate it. Right. Like on some intuitive level, I do think they get it, you know. That's great. So when you say you've got the studio, are you teaching back in the studio live now, or are you um, still you know, in the virtual world? You know, when I uh, let go of my studio in Brooklyn three years ago and moved my family to Pennsylvania about an hour and 45 minutes away, mm. for the first year, I just taught at a bunch of other centers. And I still was doing live streaming. I started live streaming classes back when I had the center in Brooklyn, like six months before I left. Because my producer and friend said, listen, man, yoga's moving online. And if you don't move online now, you're going to be left in the dust. That was in 2016. And I fought him. I was like, no way, man. Yoga's in person. I need the sound of my voice vibrating into their ear canal. I'm not doing this online thing. And he said, listen, you're going to let go of the center. And all these people that you had relationships with over a decade are have no way to connect with you. Mm -hmm. unless you do online classes. So I started doing one-way streams where I couldn't see them, but I was like streaming to YouTube, but just privately, like not publicly, like people subscribe and then they can have access to it. And I was just already teaching, you know, whatever, five or six classes a week at the center. And I just figured out a way to set up my laptop and live stream them. And that I did that for the six months or so before I let go of the center. And then for the first year, I I made an agreement with all the yoga center owners that I was going to do that, too. So I was like streaming, like just remotely from everybody else's center, which was dodgy because sometimes the Internet was bad and, you know, mm. it, was, it was like pretty stressful trying to do it like that. And at some point, um, I ended up finding a studio space at some point at first I was looking for free spaces like in the churches and stuff and then my producer partner guy was like listen I'll put up some money for you this is ridiculous we can control the production elements of your of your classes and your videos if we have a space that we can control everything in so we ended up finding this artist space in Allentown Pennsylvania that's like kind of a sketchy neighborhood but it's these beautiful artist studios for like a dollar per square foot so it's you know it's it's not like a storefront like i had last time it's it's a loft building and the bathroom's down the hall and it's kind of scuzzy <laughs> but this but the space is beautiful and it doesn't cost very much mm -hmm. so i set up shop there and started just doing all eventually i kind of gradually let go of the studio classes and started just doing 
classes out of this kind of virtual studio. And for a while it was just me. And then I actually did have a few people coming in person too. I have a setup in the room with a projector on the back wall and I can actually have people in person and also online at the same time. Especially since we switched to two-way like Zoom, you know, classes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I already have for the last, I don't know, better part of two years had a regular schedule of four classes a week that I was doing in that space before the pandemic hit. So when everything hit, that didn't change necessarily at all because that studio space doesn't require me to have any contact with any other human beings. Like I can drive from my house to that studio and get into the front door and like not even have any contact. So I have been still going to the studio to work um, which is good because all of my family's at home and I know that's what everybody's been like reckoning with trying to like work from home with their families all around them. So I have had the, the great privilege and benefit to have a space to work out of that I could still go to. Oh, and to be organized for the whole thing because there was such a learning curve, you know, when it all went down, you just had to get your act together quick. So to have it together was amazing. And have you had a lot more students like internationally and um, join you? You know, I did have like a big surge in those first few months, mostly, ironically enough, all my old friends from Brooklyn. (laughs) Really, like people, just the other day, I had a woman in class who came to the first yoga class I ever taught at the YMCA, Greenpoint YMCA in like 1995. I was like, oh my God, you know, so it's been pretty amazing. I I do take that as a bit of a silver lining. There has been more folks. It has tapered off some I've noticed like in the last few weeks for those first few months, definitely saw a big upsurge, which was kind of fun, but bittersweet, you know, because everybody was trapped at home and freaking out. So that, that wasn't the ideal circumstances for us to be reuniting, but still nonetheless, good to see old friends and, and, you know, there is a lot you can do, as I'm sure you guys are learning about in terms of what you can do with these online classes and still have really meaningful practice with people. That's great. You OK, so you've mentioned a, a couple of times something that I've long had a question about. Mm-hmm. And this is Cute. your producer. <laughs> it's a strange yeah. thing, but you yeah. over the years you've mentioned him and he's sort of been this like shadowy person in the background i think did you have him on your podcast at some point he was the first ever podcast oh well there you go i don't even you know. have to go back and listen to episode one okay you can meet you can meet josh citron who is my friend and producer who i always mention and i've often talked about we've often talked about kind of bringing him on but i think sometimes these days he doesn't want to be out in the front but yeah who knows in any case josh was somebody i met many years ago in Brooklyn yeah. when I was just like an independent teacher teaching all around. Yeah. We had like a little period of practice together and then he moved off, moved away to Massachusetts. And then many, many years later, I think when he was kind of in a bad spot in his life, he was flipping through the Kripalu catalog. Uh-huh. Kripalu is like a retreat place here in the States. He was like, his wife was like, go to Kripalu, take some time. Was like, you got to get out of here. And he like flipped through and I was in there. So he showed up and we had kind of this reunion after like many, many years. And after that workshop together, it was like a five day workshop. He 
somebody who was um, producing like independent audio, like uh, music and video. He kind of had a, a claim to fame a long while back. He helped write the hook to Dora the Explorer. All right. I was just singing that Dora the other day Ex- with my daughter. If you know Dora the Explorer, Josh, like <laughs> he was part of a team of people who wrote the hook to Dora the Explorer. Wow. And so he initially had this big like kind of lottery ticket. Yeah. Um, eventually it did sort of sour in certain ways because he watched something that started out as kind of like a soul project for kids get taken up by Nickelodeon become a big corporate money-making machine and so he kind of bailed early on like he could have stuck around and made way more money but he bailed and he actually I think it shaped him hugely and why he was like I don't want to working for corporations I'm being independent he's like one of the most fiercely kind of like independent people I've ever met in that regard um so he he said to me after that workshop, I want to um, shoot you on video doing this practice that you teach because I had been refining this program of practice. I kind of have a somewhat set program. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to stick to it, but I have like this kind of set thing I often do. And he had watched it kind of evolve from when he met me in Brooklyn to these many years later. And he was like, I want to video you doing that. And I thought, oh, that's cool. I want to document. I've never seen me doing it either. I've been doing this thing and teaching this thing for over a decade. I have no idea what I look like while I do it. So we arranged to do that, to have him come shoot me, um, which was interesting because the first time we shot it, um, I really was determined to make it technically perfect. Like I wanted to like show what the forms were intended to like look like in their most idealized form or something. Mm-hmm. And I totally nailed it, like that first shoot. Like I I just couldn't have done it more with more technical precision than I did it in that one take. And I was like, good job, Jay, good job. And then the next day, Josh said, okay, we're gonna shoot it again. This time, you know, yesterday he, fe- he said this and I didn't tell him that that was in my mind. He said, it felt kind of technical. Ooh. He said, what if this time you were to do it for feel? Like what if, what would it be like if you came into practice by yourself when I wasn't shooting? Would it be different? Would you do it different? And I think because we had shot it the day before and I felt like I nailed it, I actually took the note and like let myself just really practice for myself. And there was all kinds of stuff going on with me, like internally and emotionally and stuff when we were shooting. So like the second time I did it, it wasn't technically precise. Like I kind of like did three breaths on this side and four breaths on this side. Cause you know how, when you're like really practicing, sometimes yeah. your mind will go to a thing and then yeah. you're like, Oh, whoa, whoa, I'm back here. And like, <laughs> so like, it wasn't, it wasn't technically precise. I didn't nail all the alignment perfect. Cause I was like, you know, I was like working through stuff and you could feel it in the room and had like a real feel. And afterward he was like, that's great. And so after we did it all and we looked at it, he decided, he's like, I'm going to make this into something I can practice to. Hmm. And here's the, Here's the really funny thing is the the camera was messed up on the first day. Like the first day that was all technically perfect. Like the, there was a problem, like a technical problem with the camera. We couldn't use that footage. Interesting. So we actually had to like decide if we were going to like reshoot again. But ultimately we didn't because the other one felt so good. Like you could feel when you watched it. Right. So we found a way with overdubbing. Like we found a way to fudge it and make it work. <laughs> <laughs> but when I look at it, 
I see stuff going on with me, you know, like I remember, like it takes me back to like what was going on. But it's beautiful, those videos. They, I, I, th I found that really, really beautiful and beautiful to practice to, too. So, mm -hmm. well, see, that's why I think it has a feeling to it because we did it in a somewhat roundabout way. We didn't go into it thinking of it so much as it being a money-making thing or producing a video. It was just me and him, these guys together, you know? And ultimately, you know, we did release it as a video. And since then, we've had like a long relationship now over many, many years. And he's pretty much been involved in all of my online stuff and even consulted on the not online stuff. Yeah. Because he had a perspective on like money and business that I just did not have. Like when I first met him, it was at a time where a lot of yoga teachers were getting majorly exploited. Just be like people coming in and being like, hey, I'll produce a video with you. And then they own the rights to it or mm -hmm. like all these pores, like all this stuff was happening. And I was definitely susceptible because I didn't know nothing about nothing. And I was like, yeah, I want to grow my career, you know, or whatever. And he was the one who's like, no, no, you need to make sure that you own your stuff. You may retain that ownership and really kind of taught me about it's sort of a dumb it's sort of a, I, I hate saying the word but they call them like pipelines like the pipelines of your business so like for instance one of the big things that he did was you know get me off of social media like two years ago which oh, was that sort was of me. an was interesting it was a it was an unheard of thing to do um and he and I definitely thought about it because I was like look I've worked too hard to grow this listenership and stuff I'm not gonna like not do everything I can to keep it going, you know? Yeah. And he said, listen, you know, basically he felt like we have no idea where anybody's finding you or coming to you. You have no idea what the pipelines are. It's just like you're leaking water everywhere. And so he said, you got to know. So he's like, the only way you know is you have to turn things off so you can see. And then he's like, listen, if it drops down, we'll just turn it back on. You'll start posting on Facebook again or whatever, you know? And so sure enough, initially he... He said, okay, we're just going to stop posting the, the podcast out. Just no more like posting on social media. This is the new episode, which I used to do every week. Yeah. And so we stopped doing that and there was no change to the download numbers. They were exactly the same. <laughs> so it was clear like that was not bringing people to the podcast at all. Mm. And then we even did it with some other things that I was posting out. And ultimately what we found is an increase in email subscriptions and sales. Because instead of people kind of like interacting or seeing me on Facebook, they were only seeing me on my website. And when they wanted to like engage with me, not while they were just mindlessly scrolling, like it's a choice to go to my website, you know, yeah. and like put in an email address. And I've talked about this many times is this, if your listeners don't know it, they should Google it. They should just Google 1000 true fans. Yeah. And Josh was the one who really like turned me on to these ideas of you don't need big reach. You need depth. You need like people who are really into you. Not like, like I make more of a living off of 4,000 email addresses than other people I know who have a million Instagram followers. And I think the other thing that Josh really did was to show me that you, we actually have the technology to do it yourself and you guys are doing it too. Mm -hmm. Like me and Josh are like two guys with laptops doing the work of what would normally be like maybe five to 10 people. And in a way we're more lean that way. So we can quickly transition or pivot or like make decisions that other bigger operations can't. 
So I think we've been able to be pretty darn effective, just the two of us having each other's back, basically. Um, but Josh has really been a confidant and friend, and I owe him a lot. You know, he was one who really helped me, I think, embrace some of the shifts that have happened in the industry. You know, and to be a little, and to be a step or two ahead of it, as you said. Like even I wasn't scrambling to get my live stream classes together when the pandemic hit. Yeah. I already had everything in place and that just wouldn't have happened if I didn't have someone like Josh in my ear, you know, fighting with me about stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, it also gives you a partner. So you're not just out there alone because I think doing things, I think a, a lot of yoga teachers feel really alone. And I mean, I'm just connecting with Shara cause she's a genius on all that stuff. too. And, and but it's a, uh, it's, if you can bounce things off someone and, and, not have it run in your own mind. Like you're, you know, you're talking, you're saying your daughter goes places. You can go places, all sorts of places. And then you think, Oh, well, I don't know. So when you can run it through with, with someone who understands the business and you understand what you, what each other's strengths are, you feel really held and, and safe. And I just think that yeah. he, he's understood sales in ways that I don't like he, certain people have a mind for those kinds of things. Like mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm just not good at it at all. Like even I remember when we were first trying to like write copy for that original video that I told you we made. Yeah. I wrote what I thought was the most concise, maybe like three or four sentences that I thought was going to sell this to the public. You know, this was the thing that was going to, I can't even remember how, what they were, but there was like three or four sentences and he looked at it and he went, no, 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 no. He's like, <laughs> life hurts. This helps. <laughs> And I was like, what? And, you know, that actually worked really well. That's yeah. life hurts. This helps. It worked great. But yeah. like to me as a writer and like a sometimes overly talkative teacher, I was like, what? Like there's a different way that you write when you're writing for your blog or whatever than when you're trying to write copy. And so somebody who just has like kind of a sense of that to kind of bounce off. And there's definitely times where I don't agree, where yeah. even he says like, there's a thing that we call, and you'll forgive me this, but we call it the douche line where yeah. <laughs> like basically there's like things that we could do that would make us the most money. Yeah. And very often we don't do those things, uh, but they are like tried and true things that people who know how to do business know work mm. and we could do, but because of the nature of what I believe and who I want to be and what I want to offer in terms of even the business I do, there's a certain point where it, it, it compromises the integrity of it. So to try to find that integrity line of like, okay, well, what are we comfortable doing in terms of like techniques or things that people do to sell things and what are we not comfortable doing? Yeah. <laughs> you know? So Josh is, that's the conversation I'm always having with him is about, about that kind of stuff. That's great. Honestly, because I think like Maria said, a lot of, anyone, whether you're a yoga teacher or anyone, you sort of feel like, especially if you're in business, you feel like I've got to be able to do all this stuff. I've got to be able to sell. I've got to be able to whatever. And so you think that you need to have the skills to do this and you need to be able to, you know, understand all of these things and you need to be good at it. And, you know, you often, a lot of times you learn the hard way that, I, this is all a challenge. And I really, I really, I'm glad we asked that question because I really like hearing how you've got this kind of balancing force in your life 
that kind of comes with the things that you aren't necessarily that great at, but then also offers this kind of energy that balances out maybe some of your resistance or, you know, like the stuff that you talked about. I mean, I'll be honest with you, Josh and I often like butt heads a lot. Like yeah. it's not, it's not, cool. <laughs> it's cool. often can be somewhat contentious, but yeah. you know, frankly, I have wanted to keep him around with around me and in my life because I think that, like you just said, I recognize that I have these big gaps and to have somebody to um, help uh, see where I don't see um, has just been invaluable. That's like what a yoga teacher does, like outside reference, you know? Yeah. I also love the douche line. I love that yeah. the, love, love <laughs> you have that there's some principle to it because yeah. I think that people can get lost too. There's this sense of panic. I'm not in the game. Yep. I need to get out there and just do everything. And you start getting emails from people and you're like, oh, you know, these, I don't know, this marketing, whatever it is, and you think, okay, I'm not sure if that's lost the essence of what you were really, of, of what you're trying to share. And that's a shame to no, see. No. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. And I think for me, it is also just about like how my mind is around it. Mm. Like mm. the fact that I've taken something so personal and dear to me, and I also do sell it <laughs> in some way, like... So even just little things like I remember when I first started, like the podcast started to like uh, get more listens to it. And there was yeah. like I was getting more attention. Part of me was like, OK, I don't want to I don't want to screw up this important thing like where we started. I don't want to screw up my OKness mm. with like narcissism and ego and stuff. So like little things, like I decided, I kind of came up with a number. Like if I ever make this much money in a year, I'll give the rest of it away. Like I kind of came up with a number of like, I don't need, I can't ever imagine I would need this. If I made this, like the number is even not that crazy, but like to me it's like, wow, if I had that much money, I was like, I wouldn't have a damn thing to worry about in terms of my finances, you know? And that's it. I kind of came up with that number and I know that number in my head. And I will so live to it. If the universe ever saw fit to let me make that much money, and it's not, again, it's not like that crazy. It's a pretty modest target, it, potentially reachable. But <laughs> I think, I think for me, like to have that, to have like a reasonable, not douchey, like target for yourself and to say, okay, that's it. Not massive growth, as much money as I could possibly make, but just that would be enough. That would actually be more than enough. I have enough now. Mm. Even in this pandemic, I have enough, believe it or not. So to like set those kind of boundaries for myself has been really important. I think it helps me stay grounded, especially like putting yourself out there publicly or whatever and kind of trying to have a business of, like I said, something that's from your soul. Do you think that's your yoga that is that has informed that kind of decision way yeah. of being, not your upbringing? Yeah, yeah, Josh and I have talked about like even doing like we don't want to do one of those lame like up level your yoga business courses, but he he and I have talked about calling like doing a, the stira asuka of business, like because that's what he just tells me. It's just this, it's just stira asuka, man. Because I taught him all about stira asuka, so it's just yeah. how much effort, how much ease, you know, and finding that balanced way of going about things. Yeah, and I do think it is just about having clarity around what you're doing. Like you were saying, where people are like, 
when you kind of act from a place of desperation or a place of like, like you don't have a good spreadsheet about where you are with your numbers. So you're kind of just like throwing things blindly at the wall, which is, you know, I didn't have spreadsheets for years. Like, I did the spreadsheets. I was like, because <laughs> you I, 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 I talked about it on the podcast because I, I never, you know, for years and years and years, I did not have a business. I just owned my job. And that's cool. You can do that, but it's not the same thing. Yeah. And to be able to like know, like to track trends over time of where your money came from and when things were up and when then it puts you in a place to make more strategic choices, which I guess is what having a business is about. Yeah. So, you know, Josh was the person who really was like, no, man, you have to know your numbers. You don't know your numbers. And if you don't know your numbers, I can't even work with you. So he wow. really put a fire under my butt to be better about that stuff. And working with him and having that joint business, he made sure we had our spreadsheets right. Yeah. So I got to have that model, which I then was able to translate out in my own way to even my in-person teaching, which is sort of the other arm of what I do. So yeah. talk to me just about the podcast and why you decided to do it, like why you really decided to do it. Well, I had the blog for many years, mm -hmm. and that was really like my outlet. I would write this 800 to 900 words a month mm -hmm. that was about the thing that I thought was most important to be talking about, like in the yoga world or in me personally. And it was pretty a great outlet for many years. In the early days, there was pretty wonderful comment threads and dialogue that would happen. At some point, things really did change and kind of shift. Things kind of moved. The comment threads went from like individual websites to Facebook. Mm -hmm. And things got real more clickbaity. And I actually got really good at writing clickbaity titles that would get everybody to click and go to my thing. Yeah. And and a lot of times I had this thing of like writing a clickbaity title and then the art like the blog post wasn't even that clickbaity. It was just the title to get everybody to the blog. But I really at some point started to sour on that and stopped doing the clickbaity titles. And of course it went from whatever twenty thousand hits to like whatever, ten thousand or twelve thousand hits, you know? And I didn't like that I was like hungry for hits or whatever, like, <laughs> and then ultimately I also just felt like I felt limited. People would really be coming at me because I was always taking on controversial topics as I still like to do, as you know. Mm -hmm. And so doing an 800 word thing on like a really nuanced controversial subject was like a, like a formula for like trouble. And I started to feel like, oh, I couldn't get into depth in the way that I wanted. And already people were like, they were too long. You know, people won't read 800 words, you know, and it was already hard to keep people's attention on these blogs. And I started listening to podcasts. Um, mainly, I would say by one of my primary inspirations was WTF with Mark Marin. Uh -huh. um, he's like a comedian and he had this podcast and, you know, it was unscripted. And it was really about him trying to connect to somebody. Mm. And listening to podcasts basically got me off of TV. I used to watch TV. But listening to podcasts, I found really stimulating. Like I would think about things and like it would inspire me creatively yeah. rather than like watching TV where I'm just kind of like zoning out and like numbing out. So I really at a certain point started feeling like I think I want to be like the Mark Marin of the yoga world. I want to like, cause there's no, there was, it wasn't happening. Like there was, 
I tried that there was sort of like there was sort of like um you know like practice podcasts where people were leading practices yeah. or if there were like interview ones they were so interviewee mm -hmm. like you could clearly tell so they wrote five questions yeah. they sent the five questions to the person that person wrote out their answers and then we were just hearing them basically read it off of a page yeah and i was so not interested in that i was like i want to like get yoga teachers off script you know, I was like, what happens if we have to actually talk to each other, you know? Mm. So you know, I started it in like 2015 and I was super green. You guys know what it's like. Mm -hmm. You guys have started a podcast. It's freaking yeah, scary as heck, right? You're like, get on with some stranger that you've never met before and try to have like an interesting conversation with them. And, yeah. you know, so I kind of, you know, was interrupting people terribly in the early time. And, you know, if you go back and listen to those early episodes, some of them are kind of cringy. <laughs> And I did not, I did not have my like okayness while I was recording so much, and I was spiraling for sure. But yeah. eventually, I calmed down, and I had like, I can't remember who it was, but early on, like one sort of big name teacher, like I, it might have even been Eric Schiffman, where I just like I, I said, Eric one. Schiffman, he he, you, he had his email address on his website still, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, and I just emailed him, and he's yeah. like, okay, you know what I mean? Like, and I was like, what? <laughs> It was sort of like that freak out, yeah. you know, where like suddenly I'm like talking to Eric Schiffman, yeah. but like it went pretty well. Yeah. I like managed to do a decent job and suddenly it did sort of like, there was a moment where I was like, oh, it seemed like anybody I emailed was like, yeah, I heard Eric and then I wanted, they wanted to come on, you know? Yeah. So I started getting like a lot of great people coming on. I started really relaxing into it, having fun and learning and just being like, man, I'm just bringing on anybody I want to like learn stuff from because mm. I'm curious and interested in learning. Yeah. Everybody listening seems to dig it. So it kind of blew up. And so now I think we're over like we went from like 600 downloads a month to over 50,000 downloads a month. Wow. In like, I don't know, five years. And um, I love it. It's, it's my favorite thing because it yeah. makes me it, it makes me have to really walk my talk in certain ways. Like I can't, yep. it's not, it's, it's not carefully crafted. It's to a large degree impromptu. You know, you guys didn't send me any questions. We're just talking, you know? Yeah. So there's no, that means you have to be like having it. You can't yeah. like fake it. <laughs> <laughs> and some sometimes I feel like I'm there, I'm focused and with it more than others. But mm -hmm. at this point, I really feel like I've gotten to a place where I feel like I know what I'm doing with the show. Mm -hmm. And I feel freedom to try new things, like even recently bringing like other kinds of people on. Um, so, yeah. And I think also even just hearing you two tell me that it brought you two together, yeah. like that makes my heart sing. And I get great emails from people all over the place who just who use it. It's become a real educational resource for other people now, too. Yeah. And um, I love that it feels like a kind of space for yoga teachers where they feel like they can hang out and feel like they're in the know or something, even when they're like in a remote village and wherever, you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. <laughs> so that's cool. I like that. And I, I've I've been tempted, you know, like. Because now with the pandemic and stuff, people are doing like a lot of even like celebrities, like on the Tonight Show, you see video of them mm -hmm. 
so people are like, well, why aren't you doing video and putting it on YouTube? And I'm like, ah, uh. like right now I'm, I'm having a problem with you guys doing it. Actually, Skype's different than Zoom, but it almost feels like I like just the audio. Right. I like that we just hear it like old radio or something. Yeah. 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 I think if I didn't know you, I probably would feel more comfortable not having the video. But knowing you a little, you know, a little bit. It's like we're just ha- it's like I'm just you're here. It's like we're just having a conversation together. So, it, yeah, I get that sometimes it is a little bit better when you just have the sound and you don't necessarily have the video. Yeah, especially if you're like you see yourself there, like sometimes yeah. you can try to turn you off, but it's hard not to be like really aware of your own appearance and stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I mean, even if even when people aren't using it, like even when yeah. people just have it on and they're only using the audio, that's still there, you know, yeah. like that little bit of, oh, there I am, selfie thing or whatever. So I I kind of like it just being audio and yeah. and in the way that you guys did it, like just let's just start from the beginning and not have mm-hmm. it be let me do an intro now and like or just. To have it be a little bit unrefined and raw. I think I think that's one of the things that people are really attracted to about it. You know, I think that for me, at least in terms of your podcast, that's definitely one of the things that I really liked about it. Because like you've said, this whole idea of scripting and, you know, and all these weird intros that are, you know, have this kind of really strange music and talk about, you know, I, I'm the whatever, I'm the answer to all your dreams. And if you just listen to this podcast, you'll know why, you know, all that crap that comes again and again and again. I love how you do those, you know, every intro and outro is like, okay, guys, here's what, here's what's happening today. Where did that come from? Well, that was definitely like, it's so interesting too, because Mark Marin, it's something he did like uh-huh. in his, especially if you go way back into his archive in the early years, he was really messed up. He like had a lot of personal problems he was working through. Like if you listen now, he's in a totally different place in his life. Yeah. But in like the early, early days of WTF Mark Marin, he was mad and he was like he was just raw talking into the microphone and working yeah. through stuff. Like in a way, like wow. And I was like so when I started my podcast, I felt like, okay, I want to do something similar. And so the idea was those intros and outros were me wanting to kind of like rip down a facade that people had it was like a real height 2016 instagramification of yoga where like all these yoga teachers are putting out this forward-facing front of like their best self always like no no shadows you know what i mean and i just thought i wanted to like rip that down and be like yo look I've been doing this for a long time and a lot of people look up to me as sort of like whatever, a generation before them. And I'm in a lot of pain. Like I was in a massive chronic pain as a teacher from things that I was doing. Mm-hmm. So like in the early days, it was raw and emotional and I'm like crying and I'm like, I'm in massive pain. I got to teach tomorrow. And I know there's at least a whole bunch of you out there who are in the same situation as me and none of us are talking about this, you know? And yeah. I was like, they were real raw like that. So it was always like, I hit record and I just like I'm talking to my best friend, right? You know, like, like what the real shit with me? Yeah. And I think over the years, I'll be honest. Like in the old days, I would like just record them raw and then just put them out. Like not even like almost like not no editing, no like nothing. Just like, and my wife would be like, "What are you doing?" You know what <laughs> I mean? Like talking about our relationship and stuff. You know, it's just like whatever. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, Jay. But it was it it was beautifully raw too. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, oh, well, I listened to so, it. 
<laughs> what I'm copying to is that as the years gone on, I I definitely like listen back and like yeah. am more conscious because I've just gotten into trouble, you know. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to hurt anybody. Like yeah. I still record them the same, just as raw. But I will like because more people listen now, and because I also feel some responsibility to be more careful about what I'm putting out there. Yeah. Um. I want to. I learned the hard way. Like I don't. I don't fancy myself like a journalist per se, mm. but I do, I do have a bit of a platform and I do feel like I want to take responsibility for that. And I don't want to be putting things out recklessly or like, so anyways, I've, I've definitely become more careful in that regard. Mm. And I just think more mature. Mm. So I still record them just as raw, but if I say one thing, it's, I can edit it out, you know, right. <laughs> <laughs> and still have a really great raw intro that wasn't like carefully planned. I don't script them out at all. Mm. I will sometimes like have like an idea of like, oh, maybe I'll talk about this or this, but I purposely don't write anything out. And sometimes I literally just hit record and I get it in like one take almost. Mm. Sometimes I have to like go in. And now that again, I've been doing it for a while. If it was almost perfect, but there was one little thing I can like punch in, I can like, I can, I've gotten more skilled about it. Um, so there's a little bit more craft to it than there used to be, mm. but I've really, you know, it's interesting what you're saying because there was one moment where I had like offers in, in a way for people to kind of like come in and collaborate on the podcast. There was even one moment and I'll share this with your audience and I don't know that people know this, but I think I can say it. Yeah, I can say it. There was one moment where we were actually kind of had a little bit of talks with the yoga Alliance about like the yoga Alliance almost like it almost maybe even becoming the yoga Alliance podcast and hosted by Jay Brown, like not necessarily, but we definitely were like in talks because the idea was Yoga Alliance wanted to be part of like the real conversations with yoga teachers. That was like their whole move. They wanted mm-hmm. like, because everybody hated the Yoga Alliance and they wanted to become <laughs> relevant. Yeah. And I was doing it every week, you know, so like maybe it was a good fit. But you know what it came down to? It came down to one thing. If they want me to say something that I don't want to say, mm-hmm. or I want to say something that they don't want me to say, mm-hmm. who gets to decide? Right. Who gets to have the final say? And it was just really clear. Like, if I don't get to decide, the show's done. Yeah. Like, the the reason the show is the way it is is because I get to say, forgive my language, I don't know if I'm allowed to cuss, but yeah, sure. whatever the fuck I want. <laughs> yeah. And if I can't say that, if I can't feel that free and raw with it, it'll lose it. It'll lose its spark. Yeah. So I've just, from now on, maintained that. Even when we started doing, like, some sponsors and ads and stuff, which we've kind of moved away from, Mm -hmm. like, it's always come down to that. Like, it has to maintain that spark of why I like doing it and why I'm passionate about it. Mm Because it has that vibrancy of, like, I don't know what we're going to talk about and I'm going to really ask you what's really in my mind and we're going to see what happens. I love that. But I also love that your maturity is talking about the response. You're taking responsibility for your platform. And especially these days where, where we're talking about privilege and race and all of those things that you acknowledge that platform and that responsibility. But I think you haven't stifled yourself in the face of it, but mm-hmm. I can see the maturity. I've seen yeah. it. thanks I hope I mean I feel like I hear it I I think I'm my worst critic like I don't think anybody could be more critical of me than me in fact I actually remember I have this when I said that I flashed to a memory with my dad 
where I was like, I don't remember how old I was, but my dad was talking about me to other people in the room next to the one that I was in. And I was overhearing the conversation and they were kind of asking him that they felt like he seemed like he was harder on my brother and my sister than he was on me. Mm. And they were asking him why. And he said, oh, nobody's harder on Jason than Jason. So like he basically <laughs> felt like he didn't have to be hard on me because I was already being hard on me. So I definitely have used the podcast as like a feedback machine, you know, listening back to myself, being like, dude, you got to stop interrupting. Dude, you're totally not listening. You're, mm -hmm. you know, you're just, I don't know. You're sometimes I'm worrying about it being a good podcast. Sometimes yeah. it was sometimes. And this is what people didn't always don't always recognize is if I feel like somebody's on script and they're giving me like their usual, I will interrupt them. And people don't like it when I do that. But there were other times where it was just my own patterns yeah. being on display. And that includes what Maria was pointing to is like my own privilege and all of these things that I've been educated on because of like feedback that I get, you know, people being like, yo, dude, <laughs> and calling me out on stuff, which is great. It, yeah. I, you know, I think it's there's been times where even when it's a somebody's mad at me, I have learned. Mm. But it definitely has also, and this is more recently, where it there's a real like attack thing that happens, which is not always so constructive. Yeah. I've really had to like learn even just deciding what I want to put energy on. Like being smarter about it, almost like forgive me in the way like the media puts so much energy on Donald Trump or something. And like, we don't focus on other things that we could be focusing on. Mm. Not that we shouldn't focus on that too, but just yeah. like sometimes it's why, frankly, I haven't been having conversations about the yoga lions a lot or whatever, because I just felt like at a certain point I wasn't furthering my interests in doing that mm. <laughs> or what, or the directions that I want to see us going yeah. or that I, I want to go and or see the industry going. So to just be conscious about, oh, oh, I'm way more conscious about the choices about who I bring on yep. and like what I want to give spotlight to mm. and to leverage my pro, my profile, my uh, platform and privilege yeah. in ways that I feel good about, you know? Yeah, that's really interesting because I'm wondering now, just hearing that, um, well, I was wondering it before, but obviously there's a lot of talk. We talk a lot about yoga and you talk a lot about yoga and the yoga industry, even though you're start, kind of starting to branch out into these various other conversations, which I'm finding really exciting because I personally believe that yoga is everything. Every, it's everywhere. everywhere. It's in everything. And I like it that, you know, that in, in this sort of um, – I don't know, quiet way, you're kind of exposing people to that, you know, just if nothing else, just by the connection, you know, it's a yoga podcast. And yet we're talking to, you know, Derek Sivers and we're talking to Charles Eisenstein and all this other stuff. But I wonder, um, where do you think yoga is going? And yeah, I don't want to go. I'll, I'll leave it there. Where do you think yoga is actually going? I really don't know. I mean, I, I got to be honest with you. I, I've sometimes felt like I had a good handle on like the trajectory. Yeah. Um, and I don't right now. I think anybody who thinks that they do is full of it. I have like my hopes and desires. Yeah, go on. My fears, <laughs> you know, you know, I think for a long time, and it's been a theme on the show since I started, 
is this idea and people are going to be yada yada because everybody's heard me say it a million times but like when i got into yoga it was this totally underground thing all right you know it was like the late 90s in new york mid 90s in new york and it was still this really like counterculture move and i got into it because i wanted inner peace because i was a wreck because my mom died when i was 16. Mm. and so I wanted to be peaceful inside, which is kind of where we started, right? I wanted yeah. okayness. That's why I got into yoga in the first place. And at some point, you know, it became mainstreamed. Yeah. And the, the teachers before me who went to India and met the gurus and came back and then set up shop and started all those first yoga centers in New York, I started the Jiva Mukti Yoga Center on 2nd Avenue. And then it it blossomed and we watched vinyasa yoga emerge and like it went into the mainstream and i rode that wave completely i've made yeah. my my adult living off of that wave of yoga industry yeah. i've always been the kind of counter guy being like look at all that look you know like yeah. the little you know <laughs> the counter but i have to acknowledge that i wouldn't have been able to have that role if there wasn't also the mainstream right so in any case, I, I sort of rode that wave. And I think that as it, as it progressed, a lot of people watched it shift and it took on this whole like physical fitness orientation. Mm. And there was a like kind of a big amount of appropriation that happened, frankly, where people just kind of using yoga for anything. And there's the yoga for this and yoga for that and the goat yoga. And we've <laughs> all has those, we've all read those articles about look what's happened to yoga, right? Yeah. And then there's all us old fuddy-duddies being like, oh, we remember when or whatever. <laughs> so, you know, I have personally, like, at a certain point, it became really clear I was interested in, like, these contemplative aspects of practice that don't sell as well. So I've been trying to, like, make gentle, kind yoga as sexy as I possibly can for, like, the better part of the last decade. Gentle is the new advanced is my slogan to, like, mm -hmm. jazz it up for everybody. And so I've been sort of, like, I was pushing against this grain for a long time. And then at some point, it kind of shifted. All the gurus collapsing, right? Yeah. All the guru traditions falling apart. People, like, looking for more. People admitting to the pain in their hips mm -hmm. <laughs> from all those triangle poses or whatever we were doing. And... And I think at a certain point, I actually became more like my whatever niche became a bigger niche. And then, you know, this pandemic hit and like now nobody's doing in-person classes anymore and nobody really knows like what society is going to be like, much less what yoga classes are going to be like. Mm. Now, I think my fear is that the centers don't come back. And we don't have the same opportunities for people to develop and grow as teachers. And you end up having like a few monopolies or big players who are able to survive, not unlike small businesses and Amazon or whatever. And that we actually would see like, like a lessening of people's access or something. Although no, there'd be online. So I don't know, but the yeah. lessening of what I really think is the most powerful part is like the person who lives next to you who you see once a week or whatever you know like i don't know i'm feeling a real hunger for in person like for hugging and like <laughs> you know like all this isolating and stuff and i feel like 
I think that there's going to be a real new a new need or not even a new need a a reinforcement of that need in us yeah to be in the same room together it's one of the favorite things someone's ever said on this show like the reason we have yoga classes is so we have an excuse to be in the same room together so one hope is like even if I think back to New York where the reason I was able to come to know what I know as a yoga teacher, do as I do, is because I had an apartment in the East Village for $450 a month for 10 years. Yeah. So I was able to not have to make a lot of money yeah. and be able to live and study. Yeah. And that went away. And even Yoga Center's ability to survive because of the growing rents or whatever. So if there is this collapse happening and it ends up being that you it goes back a little bit to like where you could actually get a space for cheaper yeah there aren't clear indications that that's happening though honestly yeah. but if that were the case then you could see a kind of renaissance of those old days where we actually i used to always say like maybe we need to go back to the church basements and the living rooms. And that's kind of what I did. And maybe that's been forced upon us. And maybe that's not a bad thing yeah. is what I'm saying. But in terms of where yoga is going, I do think that there has been a big paradigm shift where there is no more like this looking to these guru external authorities. Mm -hmm. And instead of there being this like just – defer to these external guru authorities now there's like transparency and you know just really being clear about what you're doing and why you're doing and where you got it and the proof is in the pudding which i also think is good your reputation is based on whether or not people are having a good experience with what you're doing and telling other people that they're having a good experience more than just oh you studied with that person and in a way I think that's kind of good also. But the move is de the move is definitely to finish the move is definitely I think away from these idealized forms like when I told the story about shooting my video like mm -hmm. even in the places where the forms used to be coveted you can see they've had to come away because just over time it's been proven that there is no such oh, thing as like maybe. one right alignment or whatever. Right. And accomplishing the forms doesn't mean you feel good at all. <laughs> so I think enough people over time have experienced that truth and still love yoga and are then interested in these subtler aspects. So I do think that there's been a maturing in the broad sense in the same way that there often is on the individual level. So in that regard, I'm hopeful. I'm more hopeful about the progression of yoga than like the industry stuff. Like, I don't think you can mess up yoga. Like yoga is mm. fine. You can't mess with it. It so doesn't worry about these things we're worrying about. Yeah. But in terms of us living in the world and having it as a profession, that's another matter. But I, I love that vision of everyone going back to their garage and teaching their neighbors. But where it was a little unsafe or you'd be really isolated and stop learning, you can tap into the online stuff and really tap into communities. You know, um, when we interviewed the connected yoga teacher, Shannon Crow, and she's got this whole community. So you can tap into that virtual bigger, wider community, but still p teach your people in your garage. So there's a, there could be a really nice marrying of 
some of the technology, the modern technology, and then the old school in-person stuff. Yeah. I think that's right. And I would say to like anybody listening to that, I think that you will, in my experience, people who have the actual experience of like the in-person thing, like those developing of relationships, they do better online stuff. Hmm. Like, like I'm, when I'm doing online stuff, I'm just like channeling those experiences because you have to fill it in because it's there's limitations to this the video format and if you have good experience under your belt of developing relationships with people over time and having that kind of relatedness to people when you practice with them it comes through in the video stuff so it's better to start with like your best friend at home than Mm -hmm. on youtube is i guess what i'm saying Right. <laughs> Still work some of that, some of it out, huh? What part of your um, your teachers class? Because I know Shara's part of the teachers class. H- how has that been in terms of building community? You know, that's been wonderful for me. It's it's really interesting because when I talked with Josh about doing that, I was really hesitant for one reason because I just didn't want to feel like I have to come up with new content or material. Like this idea that like all these yoga teachers are coming and I'm going to be the mentor. Like I'm going to give them a lecture every week and enlighten them or something. Like I just, I was like, what am I going to talk about every week? You know, I just sort of felt like I don't, there are certainly things I can bring. And I, I use that as an opportunity sometimes to like offer like a teaching of sorts, like a Mm -hmm. teacher. It is kind of teacher training a lot of time in that regard. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, the way that I was able to like embrace it was like, oh no, in a way, this is a little bit of a continuation of what happens on the podcast. Like mm. these yoga teachers are at home listening to these podcasts and they're like shouting at the <laughs> at their radio. You know what I mean? They're like they want what in on that? these con- they like want in on these conversations. So like I basically and frankly, you know, I have audios of them. Like they it's an amazing podcast, but it's also very personal. Like we've developed relationships over a lot of time. Like I've known Shar for years almost through that yeah. thing. And so mm-hmm. I have, they've been with me through things that I went through and people have felt comfortable to bring their things in. And now I really have used it a little bit as like collective wisdom. We learned about Ayurveda from Shara. We yeah. like, people are like sharing their info, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think for me, it's been wonderful to see that some of these folks are, do really feel isolated. Like they mm-hmm. don't feel like they have other yoga teachers they can talk to like peers yeah. and they feel all alone by themselves. Or even sometimes they are, they teach at centers where people are kind of of a different mindset than them. And they don't, mm-hmm. they feel like, I don't know, ostracized or whatever sometimes. Yeah. So it, it, to have a space where people can show up like, and feel and we have a pretty wide, diverse group, though. It's not like everybody agrees about stuff in the group. Yeah. But I think I have fun with everybody, and I learn from everybody, and I think that's kept it real vibrant. And I do really think of it as teacher training, because at some point, it's just a matter of like, well, what happened in your classes this week? You know, like, or how are you keeping yourself sane? And that stuff is like the most valuable stuff when you're out there doing it, you know? Yeah, I for me, it that class has been a confirmation of how possible it is to form real relationships over the inter over the web, you know, over the waves. Cuz I've mm. met people, I've met people in person from that class. I've done collaborations with people that I've met from that class. 
it's been and it feels like you're just you know every week it feels like you're meeting up with this group of friends that you can basically just you know just kind of let it all let it all go and just hear from people and it's been really it's just it's been really great being part of that and I can tell you like when I first started that that class I thought okay well what's this going to be about and it is very interesting to see the way that the energy in there has shifted over the years because I had a moment in there where I was like I don't know if I really I don't know if I'm getting I don't know if I want to do this anymore um, but now I'm like I don't want to miss it don't want to miss it and it's just because we've really formed some bonds and even though there's new people that come in and you know all the rest of it it I don't know they're they it feels like they're coming into something that they I mean I can't speak for them but just from what I can see that they immediately feel a part of so it's great so it's not a club well, I, to get into <laughs> I try to have it be an easy club to get into and I so appreciate hearing that and it's interesting to hear you say because I think my guess would be that that moment when you were thinking, oh, I don't know if I want to do this, was the moment where I was like trying to feel like I had to be the one or something. <laughs> like, like that's been the thing of, of letting it uh, be as um, exploratory as the podcast. That was the shift. Yeah. That when I did that, when I go into it, like again, sometimes I have some things in mind where I like I've got some bullet points and like if nobody brings anything, like I got plenty of stuff I could talk about, but I've gotten uh, poised enough with it yeah. to like just sit on my stuff and wait and see. And when it comes from other people, as you guys know, as teachers, it's always better. <laughs> yeah. And I often get to say all the things I wanted to say anyways. Yeah. But that kind of it's no different than what we do when you meet with groups of people. But I do think that there's a little bit of like a doing it online that you you develop, like you you learn the medium and how to like work those mute buttons and like, <laughs> you know what I mean? And like yeah. transition, you know what I mean? Like there's like, yeah. there's little subtle knacks to like doing what you do in person with a group of your fellow teachers when you have like a group dialogue about interesting stuff and then doing that in a Zoom call. But I just love hearing you say that because I feel that way. I show up to that meeting being like, oh God, I got to talk to people, <laughs> you know, or like, or, or really just, feeling like this is a space where I will, if there's things that I actually feel like are too risky to say on the podcast, I don't, I don't, I'll say them in the teacher's class, you know, yeah. and sometimes I actually can work through things with the teacher's class Yeah. and it helps me have clear thoughts for when I put them out publicly. So, um, I'm, I'm so grateful to you and all the folks in that group. Cause there's some real heavy hitters, just like not heavy hitters in the sense that like they're big names, but that that they're just smart, smart, thoughtful people. Very, yeah. I, I definitely appreciate that. So, all right. So we do, I've got a couple more things that I've been thinking about because I know we're kind of getting it to a wrapping I'm it up. not in a rush. Bring it. Whatever you want to talk about. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Oh, wait a minute. Um, okay. Well, then this is one that I want, I've been wanting to ask about is whenever on the podcast and even sometimes in the in the teacher's class – especially of late, we've started kind of diving into politics a teensy bit. And given what's going on in the world, this conversation about yoga and politics, I'm hearing it kind of half started in a bunch of places and people are always almost stopping themselves. And I don't know if there's just some collective like agreement that yoga and politics shouldn't exist in the same place. But I'm wanting to know what how has your yoga informed your politics Okay. I mean, 
I think the reason why I have I do set some pretty heavy boundaries around politics on this show is yeah. that I just want to be really careful that I'm not reckless. Like I'm not, I don't know. I'm not, again, I'm not a trained journalist. And so I feel like when it comes to politics and like reporting on politics, I'm, I want to be careful yeah. and not just because I feel like Fair I'm enough. getting something wrong yeah. but because I also feel like it's easy to speak from an uninformed place about politics and potentially actually be, and then like you change your mind and you're like, oh, right. I don't believe that anymore. I don't know. So I just, I'm more careful about politics. But to your question, I do think that, and we've discussed this in the teacher's class many times, we talk about different philosophical viewpoints within yoga. And if you listen to the podcast, whenever I have one of those scholar guys come on and talk about Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. I always got to ask him about non-duality, right? And whether we're trying to transcend this life or whether we're trying to integrate into this life. Like yeah. I have embraced a, what I, for lack of other words, would call a radical non-dual philosophy of yoga practice, which is n inherent and cannot be separated from my viewpoint of myself and life. Mm -hmm. So it absolutely affects my politics. And in a way, it makes me, I think, really progressive about how I see things. And my politics are, I don't even see my politics represented in the United States right now. I thought maybe Bernie was going to like represent some of the things that I think are important. And you can name them. You know, let's just take one, for example, the fact that in Australia and other places, there's healthcare systems that aren't just pure for profit like yeah. we have here, that we don't have Medicare for all. And so even, you know, I was a huge Obama supporter. I was hugely inspired by him. He mm. was a writer. He spoke in progressive rhetoric that made my heart sing. But when I look back at his presidency, I don't believe he like made good on any of it. In fact, I feel very betrayed by it. I feel like he he was in bed with Wall Street. He was in bed with all of these industrial complexes, whether it's the military industrial complex, whether it's the healthcare industrial complex, whether it's the food sugar industrial complex, where those money corporate interests that are fueling the rampant and massive wealth inequality that I think is largely at the root of most of the societal suffering that we experience. I didn't I feel like it's just uh, it's like a neoliberal snow job where they tell me what I want to hear, but they just get – they're funded by the same people doing the same things anyways. Or they give you a little pittance to make you – like all the identity politics right now. So my politics are pretty radical, and if I like – if I just speak about all this stuff freely on the podcast, like – I get so many people mad. Like it, it'll it'll distract from the other more important conversations that I'm sometimes having. Like if I just mm -hmm. go off on politics in an intro, it'll like overshadow the the guest and the conversation I had with them sometimes. Mm -hmm. So like I'm not shy about talking about what my politics are, but I don't always find that the intros. Sometimes I do it more in the outros than the intros these days, but like especially the intros aren't always the best place for me to go there. Yeah. Sometimes I can't help myself, but I do think, and you know, this week's podcast with Charles Eisenstein is an example of it, where I do think that a person's viewpoint, like their yoga, 
mm-hmm. which is what I think it does inform politics. You can't separate them out. However, I don't think that yoga has an inherent politics to it. Yeah. I don't I don't think Patanjali teaches us that we're all supposed to be progressive left wing or something. Right. I don't I don't think it's baked in. It's about developing attention and perception, but that can be expressed in different individuals in different ways and I don't I don't think yoga imposes any politics on us. So while I think you can't separate them out, I don't think all yoga teachers need to be political activists, mm-hmm. especially when, like I said, we don't, especially if you're not all that informed about politics and you're out there preaching because you're the yoga teacher or something right. like that, you know, the, we've got enough yoga teachers talking out of their ass mm-hmm. on all range of subjects. We definitely don't need more of them doing it in, on politics. Yeah. So I like to, I feel very comfortable and confident to speak about things like I feel like I have direct experience with and I really can speak from that. Mm. Um, I, I'll speak with confidence, but in other areas where I don't have direct experience, I might offer an opinion, but I will do so in a much more careful way and mm. know that I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm just thinking out loud, you know? Yeah, it feels to me like politics these days are so... Um, and to be honest, like, I don't actually think a lot has changed, but they're just a lot more um, visible. And we're, we all, it feels like we're a lot more engaged with it. And when I think about yoga as being this context or this set of tools for self-inquiry, I think about, there's a, there's a, I think about that being the relationship because most of the way that we do our politics comes from our parents or our friends, or, or at least it has up until now. And then stuff starts getting, you know, you start getting a fire in your belly or you start seeing these injustices happening where you are and or stuff starts playing with your head. And for me, when I think about the connection between yoga and politics, I think yoga sort of gives us this ability to kind of go inward and think, how the hell? Like, how is how is this affecting me? What do I actually believe? Because somehow I feel like what I believe is being messed with right now. And then coming from that place to to take action or to, you know, to do what yoga does. It kind of changes or it helps to shift the way that you interact with the world. I agree. I think a lot of times you hear people saying this thing of like, do the work, you know, and that can like mean different things, whether it's around the work around understanding racism or whether it's the work around like understanding privilege mm-hmm. and to do that work that I, people called me out on this show. You know, I did a whole thing where at one point you remember I like brought on like a bunch of a black yoga teachers in a row. Yeah. yeah. They just wanted to like show like, oh, like if I bring on a bunch of black teachers in a row, it's a thing. Yeah. But if I bring on hundreds of white teachers in a row, it's not a thing. You know, yeah. like I tried to utilize that. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I lost my train of thought. What was I no. saying? Remind me. Char was talking about feeling in and then letting that inform what you were doing outside. Or how you make your choices. Sort of yoga being able, being an opportunity for you to, get a lot clearer about what your politics actually are. Thank you. You got me back on track. What I was going to say then is that in order to do this work, like in order for me to have like the courage to put that out there like that, in order for me to be self-reflective enough to get beyond my social conditioning, it requires like facilities. That is what yoga teach, like the Mm. ability to direct attention and to 
have like self swadhyay, you know, like those yeah. those things that yoga teaches, those are the building blocks, I think, of being able to do like the internal work that enables you to be an agent of change in the world. Like it's the it's it's what it's the how you do it. Like it's it's almost like um someone will point to like like a like a goal, let's say, or like something that you're trying to get to, but you don't know how to get there. Like yeah. if you don't have like a way to like move in that direction or go that way, it's almost not even helpful to know that goal, right? In fact, it's sometimes expressly not helpful mm -hmm. <laughs> to have some idea of where you're trying to get to before you know how you might get there. Yeah. So to think of it as a direction and have like a process that you can have of centering yourself or coming to a place in yourself where you feel like you know who you are and you operate from that place of okayness, like that's what gives me like the courage enough to face myself and the injustice and to share in that, you know, to talk about it and not get overwhelmed and paralyzed by everything. It's true. Yoga, yoga operationalizes all of those, whether you're managing your mental health or your stance on social justice or whatever it is. It starts with all of those, that feeling in, that self-inquiry, that coming, coming to where you are and, and, and in a way feeling it, not just thinking it, but, but it's an embodied experience as well, which makes it keeps you on, on track rather than getting swirled into the whole wide world of everybody yelling at each other. You can, you can check within. Given what's going on in the world right now, and man, there's a lot. I think I've been especially grateful for having this background of yoga and having conversations like this and having conversations like we're having in the teacher's class because it's it's opening my eyes to the tools that I actually have to uh, help myself through this and help potentially help others through this. My question for you is um, – do you see this current turmoil as a potential opportunity for yoga and yoga teachers? And if it is, an, if you do see it as an opportunity, um, what is the opportunity? Well, I have to say, I want to be careful. Like, I don't like the wording of that. Like, I don't like yeah, I hear to think you. of this I hear you. It feels a little as an opportunity. That made me feel very, like, I got a really uncomfortable feeling. Yeah. By the use of those words, like, sure. is this an opportunity? Because yeah, it's a tragedy. You. I could come up with a lot of words. Yep. It's, I wouldn't want to use the word opportunity. Fair enough. Now, having said that, I had a teacher when I was a freshman in college, and it was a director, a directing class. And his name was Robert Moss. I think he passed not too long ago. And he taught us this thing. It was a director's trick. Well, not a trick, but a principle. And it was turn your liabilities into assets. So like if you walk into the room and you don't have what you originally, the, the assets that you thought you were going to have, like you don't have the lighting or you don't have the whatever you were planning on having, you have to look at the situation and say, okay, how can I look at this liability, this terrible situation that was nothing I would have ever wanted? How do I make this an asset? How do I make this work for me? Yeah. And I have definitely found myself thinking of it that way. It's like, okay, this is really horrible. This is really tragic. It's easy for me to feel overwhelmed by mm -hmm. fear and to like be overcome by the anxiety of all this uncertainty. Not that there hasn't always been uncertainty, but like even yeah. more than usual, it seems like it. Yeah. So to say, okay, 
how do I take this time and use it like my daughter not being able to go to sleep at night and how can I make this something that can potentially work well for me? And so I have been, you know, doing things with my house and also just my wife and I have done some really important work on our relationship, you know, like she's been doing some important work on herself and we've been doing some important work together. So just, I do think that there's been uh, silver linings to the, this moment for me. Um, I, I don't know though. I, I also think that I'm, I think that absolutely there's possibilities being presented to us now that, would have never been presented to us had we not had this global shutdown happen, this unprecedented global shutdown. Sure. And it does feel like, okay, you're, we're in a place to make choices about how we want to move forward in ways that we weren't before. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, that's an opportunity. When I think about opportunity, I probably should just clarify that a little bit. What I mean is it feels like everything we're dealing with right now is exactly what yoga was in it created for lack of a better term to to help you know to address and so i think when i think about it as a yoga teacher i f- feel and you know or, or as somebody who's been practicing yoga for so long i feel somehow and i don't even want to say equipped cuz that just that sounds a little too confident but I feel somehow partially prepared, perhaps, to support my students and my community and my family and my friends, even if it's just through doing what your daughter said you're best at, just maintaining that calm. Tapping into your okayness. I mean, I have to say, I know what you mean in a sense that I do feel like I've got tools like at my disposal that I'm utilizing now that work really good <laughs> and, you know they're like really helping you know and that feels good and that is I think sometimes what seems to put you in a position where you can offer something as a teacher yeah. and not go off like you were saying how you know I think online everybody just the opinions blossom and people not blossom they they shoot like military everybody's firing off that ability to kind of center and then make the space that you talked about to respond so that we don't add to the fire and to the confusion, but there's there's a, a response that's thought out or maybe a non-response, as you sometimes said, sometimes the best response is the non-response, especially when talking about race or privilege or all of these subjects that can get us, especially if you have a platform online, in, in big trouble and hurt people. Yeah, that's really been on my mind a lot. And I was just talking on the show this week about it, about narrative warfare. And this idea of like there's a particular narrative and someone's creating a meme essentially to like dehumanize and shame people into accepting that narrative as the the right narrative. And it, it sets up this like warfare dynamic that's not at all – you can't have like a real nuanced dialogue there, you know. You can't You can't work through the kinds of things that we're faced with knee-jerk reactions. And that's what social media is designed to elicit. Mm-hmm. Algorithmically designed to elicit knee-jerk reactions in us. So it's really challenging. I'm not saying there's not anything good that can happen on there, but trying to work through really complex, nuanced, difficult mm-hmm. topics doesn't 
seem to work very well in that uh, context. Where the conversations is a perfect context. Sitting face to face or ear to ear, as you said, with people and listening and responding and really trying to work out what makes people tick and listening to them. I mean, that's what I've so enjoyed in the in your podcast and we're trying to do with ours is is create something where you can listen in and feel in and it has a really different effect than those knee-jerk reactions. It's true. Like when you hit record and you start talking to someone like we've been doing for an hour and a half now, <laughs> like <laughs> after about like 30 minutes, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Like you, you settle in, we're just chatting. We could keep going easily, you know, for as long as we want. Cause we would like, just like if we were hanging out right now, I'll have a glass of wine together or something. Yeah. And that is really what I wanted to do with the show. And I feel with you guys doing this now. And like, I really think that those kinds of interactions and dialogues are where we're capturing this nuance. That's going to be helpful. You know, it's yeah. going to empower us to not have these knee jerk reactions, but to like operate from this okayness in ourselves and end of like consideration for everyone, you know? Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think and we've said that we've talked about this in the teacher's class, too. I think talking, having a conversation, trying to get into where somebody else is and understanding their point of view. And I suppose that mutual communication of OKness and somehow in some way, I sort of feel like that's that's kind of the, the path through all of this. I agree. And also just as teachers, I think for that teacher's class, I've noticed that having to articulate yourself. Yeah. Like having to say, like, this is what I think. Yeah. And like put it out there and even risk something in doing that, um, having a place where you can try that out before you try that out with strangers even, <laughs> <laughs> is helpful. But I, like you said, I agree. I think not only is that like really valuable for yoga teachers, it's just valuable for human beings to be able to. I think democracy is not about everybody agreeing. You're allowed to have different ideas about how things work, but the ideas that we talk about, we don't just, you know, lift up a gun or do something that we actually have a conversation and we try to come to some kind of workable consensus for the greater good. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jay, honestly, yes, we have had an hour and a half of your time and it's been glorious. I just mm. want to thank you for having this. I've been dying to have a conversation with you, even though, you know, we've talked in, on, in the class and, you know, in your workshop and stuff, I've just been dying to ask some of these questions and also just to, again, acknowledge you for all the work that you're doing to live the stuff that we've been talking about at home and out in the world. So we appreciate the time. Yeah, we look forward to continued listening and seeing where the show goes. Yeah, me too. Well, thank you. So thank you so much, you guys. This has just been so much fun, such a pleasure. And I'm glad to know you both, and I appreciate you bringing me on your show. Thanks for coming. Keep on keeping it real. <laughs> That's right. Ah, oh, what a lovely chat. You know, I've been a member of Jay's weekly teacher's class for nearly two years, and I've gotten to know Jay a little, and I still learned a bunch about him in this conversation. So I hope that you found it inspiring. And even more than that, I highly recommend you go and check out Jay's podcast for yourself. As you can imagine, he talks a lot about yoga, but... Recently, he's expanded his reach in terms of the kinds of people that he talks about and the subjects that he talks about. And perhaps that's a reflection of some of what he's learned over the years, right? This idea of it being okay to follow your intuition and your interests and the questions that live in your own heart about what it means to be human and, and even what it really means to practice yoga. 
So since our chat with Jay, we've had a bunch more talks with some pretty fantastic guests, and we're going to be bringing those to you over the coming weeks. We're also going to try to sneak in a conversation with just Maria and I reflecting on our experience with the guest of our next podcast. Her name is Michelle C. Johnson, and she's a yoga teacher, a social worker, an activist, and a social justice educator. And needless to say, the conversation was really juicy and incredibly enlightening. So if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, now might be the time to do that so that you'll be notified as soon as that episode's ready to listen to, which will be in a couple of weeks. And you know, why not give us a rating as well? You know, we're hearing such great things from y'all that we're hoping to expand our listenership. So please feel free to share this podcast if you're one of those folks who's enjoying these conversations and have friends that you think might enjoy them, enjoy them too. And before I let you go, let me just say thank you again from myself and Maria. You know, we so appreciate you taking the time to listen and share your thoughts and your questions with us. So please take care of yourselves. Namaste. Namaste.